This is the stinking truth. We love him because he's a straight shooter and he knows the game. Mark Schlair joins us on a weekly basis. We are uh, happy to talk to him every week. Odyssey NFL insider. And he's the host of an Odyssey original podcast, the Stinking Truth podcast, covering the entire NFL. Mark Slayer, Stink, good to have you back on. Tell me your impressions of what's happening in Carolina. Is this owner a complete idiot? <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty much, I think. I mean, I, you know, I, listen, the guy is a brilliant businessman um, that, you know, my – like the way I think of it is you're a great businessman. That's awesome. But, you know, running a football team is probably not your forte. So it's to me, it's one of those situations where from an ownership standpoint, you've got to hire a guy, right? Appoint a guy, a coach. But if you appoint a guy, a coach, that guy will never be successful. You have to empower him to be the coach. He's got to have final say. It can't be you stepping on his toes. Are you directing traffic? Are you telling him we got to make our quarterback comfortable? We got to do this, that, and the other. And that's just a recipe for disaster. If your head coach has no, you know, official capacity to be completely in charge, then your players will never respect him ever. It, it just doesn't happen. That's how players operate. So, um, you know, you've got to have the ability as a owner to empower a guy and then step out of the way and let that guy do his job. And I just, I just think, you know, from, from the things you hear and the people you talk to that, that probably doesn't happen a lot in Carolina. It's funny, as you said, you know, Mark, these guys are so successful at Wall Street, which is a dog-eat-dog world, but they get in this one, it's like they forget everything they've ever learned about how you deal with people. Because now you marginalize your own quarterback. You talk more about C.J. Stroud than Bryce Young in this press conference today. Yeah, and, you know, and I mean, it, it's the two completely different skill sets. And, you know, it's not about drafting the best collegiate quarterback. It's about drafting the best quarterback from a transitional standpoint, a guy that transitions well into the National Football League based upon the skill set that that guy has. And I will I'll tell you this, like, like C.J. Stroud played under center in Pop Warner, he played under center in high school. He played under center, you know, like 50-50 at, at Ohio State. And he is plays as much under center as any quarterback in the National Football League um, that, I've, that I've watched. And why is that important? Because the timing of the offense is kept in the quarterback's feet. And when you play under center, you develop footwork that ties to the route combinations that you are going to throw. And you cannot be accurate or on time unless your feet are right. It's impossible. And so you already have an advantage. And think about the kids that come out of college in today's game. They played seven-on-seven seven growing up at a gun. They played high school gun. They're in college and gun 100% of the time. The only time that Bryce Young ever was under center was in victory formation when they were kneeling down at the end of the half or the end of the game. Mm. That's it. And so, you know, the, the, the problem with some of that gun stuff, and I understand that, I understand that, you know, how the NFL has, has morphed into this and, and morphed into some of the more collegiate stuff. The problem is, out of gun, there is no true hard run action, play action. It just truly doesn't exist. You think about it. 
When you snap the ball and gun, what do the linebackers and the safety see? They see the ball and they see the quarterback. And even when you face and, and hand that ball off, they can see that ball. So they can play from high to low. They can get into their drops, and they can take away the intermediate passing game. When you're under center, you turn your back to the defense, you flag that ball in there, they lose it. They can't see. They don't know what's going on. So they have to. They just instinctually, they have to step up to try to take that away. Now all of a sudden you pop up, you have the ball, you shrink first when you're handing it off or faking the handoff, you shrink down. They got to they gotta climb. They got to they gotta look. They get, they, they get antsy. And then all of a sudden you pop up, and guess what? You got a crossing route at 12 yards, and those linebackers are sucked up at two yards. Easy. If they're sitting at eight yards or seven yards deep, guess what? That's a pick. You can't throw it. Like, like there's little things. I'll, I'll tell you the other thing about gun runs. I mean, if you're side saddling gun, meaning near gun, you're to the tight end side or far gun, you're, you're nine times out of ten or eight times out of ten, you're running the opposite way. So if you're in near gun, tight end to the right, near gun right, you're running belly weak. Mm. Just it's the only thing you can really run. And so you you basically telegraph what you're doing. It is just it's one of those things, and I understand it has its its purpose, and there's some good stuff out of it. But the problem is, is that you become an easy tell, and you really eliminate some of the hard run action play action. So you take away some of your offensive line's tools to really protect your quarterback well. And you look at what they're doing in Carolina right now. They're about ninety. Two percent of all their plays are out of gun or pistol. Yeah, uh, it's a great point. Mark Schlereth joining us here on Dukes and Bell. Uh, I, I want to ask you about the play of Jalen Hurts and these Eagles. They are obviously what their record says they are. They're 10-1. and one. But it doesn't feel like last year, Mark. And I, I don't know if this is a better team or they're as good as they were that got to the Super Bowl. What's your take on this? Because it's weird. I look at the record, and, yeah, I know they're 10-1, and one, but this doesn't feel like it did. Yeah, you know, it, it's really interesting. I was just talking about this um, on my podcast, Thinking Truth, and you guys mentioned, and it really does feel like the general public is not quite sold on this on this football team. Obviously, Jalen Hurts, it, it, that knee, there's, there's no question that it's hampered him to some degree, but he's still playing exceptional football. He's still really good. But there does feel like this, yeah, but – kind of caveat behind the Philadelphia Eagles. And I tell you what, that's exactly how Vegas feels in the Sharps feel because right now the San Francisco 49ers are traveling to Philadelphia to play the Eagles and the 49ers are three-point favorites. Mm. You know, and I thought, I thought, you know, okay, this is going to be one of those two-and-a-half-point spreads, Philly. Uh, but, no, they're underdogs at their own stadium. And so there definitely feels like people are not quite sold – what they're doing offensively, um, what, where they are, what they're doing defensively as well. They're a damn good football team. Uh, their record would tell you they're a damn good football team. They're a big, physical, strong football team. They can run the ball. They can do all that stuff. But there is that just aspect of them that's just like, oh, I'm not quite 100% sure. Yeah, and the 49ers have given up like 70 less points, that defense. When they're healthy, remember the 49ers, Mark, had their wobble when those guys were banged up. Yeah. And it seems like they're back on track. Cowboys going to get back in the mix, or is that? I mean, is that just never going to happen? <laughs> yeah, doesn't it? It feels like you know they're like it feels like Miami and the Cowboys are kind of mirror images of one another. Mm. They beat up on really bad teams, but when they face a good team, 
they can't quite win it, right? I mean, when Dallas and they faced uh, the 49ers this year and just got absolutely, you know, stir, uh, just absolutely thunder stomped. Um, like, it, it just feels like when they face a really good team, they're not quite there yet. Uh, they're as talented as, as you get. And however good you think uh, Micah Parsons is, uh, times it by three, like he's that good. Um, but it does feel a little bit like you guys have to prove it to us. And you're going to have to prove it to us in the playoffs because we don't quite believe you. I'm doing Miami this weekend. I'm really excited because mm. um, I've been looking at Washington film. So I did Washington yesterday, kind of a bunch of film breakdown. I'll do a bunch of Miami later on this afternoon. But I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, this team firsthand because, like – like I said, they're unbelievable offensively, but you know when they when they play somebody good, they they haven't beat anybody that's over five hundred. Yeah, it's true. Stink, do you buy into this whole thing with Aaron Rodgers trying to come back, man? I mean, you've been around a lot of injuries in your life. You've seen guys with this stuff. Mike and I have been saying this. It's just this this is false. This nobody comes back from this as quickly as Aaron Rodgers is assuming that he will. You know, saying it's going to depend on the Jets and their playoff position, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, dude, you're not coming back. Yeah, well, I mean, if it's if it's it depends on the Jets and their playoff position, I think you have your answer. <laughs> right. So, like, like the, Jets, the Jets have about as much chance of making the playoffs as I do of getting signed by somebody uh, <laughs> to play. Like, zero. So, yeah, Aaron Rodgers, I mean, I get it if the Jets, you know, if the Jets wouldn't have, you know, lived in this in this pipe dream world of maybe Zach Wilson will all of a sudden understand how to play football. <laughs> like, you know, like, um, but they didn't, you know, and, and so here they sit. I just, like, I, I, like, did you see the Boyle kids' stats through college? Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I'm like, I'm like, like. This, that's the prototypical, that's what you say, that kid right there, that's what you say about a kid who can't play. You know what, when you talk to the coaching staff, I've never talked to him about this kid, I don't know anything about Boyle, but you'll talk to a coaching staff and they'll say, you know, the, the compliment that they'll pay that kid is, hey, he's going to make a fine coach one day. <laughs> yes. But he can answer right. every question on a grease board. <laughs> right. Like, like, he, like he's brilliant. So we hang around. We have them hang around to tell the other guys what they have to do in certain situations, but don't put them in the game. And they put them in the game. Like I mean, yeah. it's just remarkable to me. Hey, before we cut you loose, it's a Pro Bowler and Super Bowl winner Mark Slareth. Uh, if Belichick eventually lands somewhere else, is Tampa Bay's been mentioned? Maybe L.A. with the Chargers. Go to a place that's all he needs is some guidance and a coach who's been there and done that. Or is is the bloom just so far off the rose with Belichick? You don't buy him going anywhere just other than cashing in. No, I, I think he still wants to coach. I think he I think he wants to beat Don Shula's all time mm-hmm. record. So um and let and let's face it, I mean, Belichick is uh, you know, the greatest of all time because he had Tom Brady with him. And, you know, as soon as that relationship ended, I mean, you can go to his Cleveland career, but just look at his New England career without Tom with him without. I mean, he'd be like uh he he's become, you know, a quote unquote average coach. So if he went to some place, like I would look at the chargers that have, you know, a legitimate NFL quarterback that can't seem to get over 500 ever. Mm-hmm. 
you would have to think that if he had that again, that he could make another run in the AFC West. So that would that would make total sense to me. You know, the the question that you get into is the Spanos family is historically um, I'm not going to call them cheap frugal, <laughs> and is is that the direction they're going to go in? I I don't know, but that would make the most sense to me. Tampa Bay doesn't have a quarterback. They're going to go out of the frying pan into the fryer. You know, right. I mean, I don't I don't know that that. And I like Baker Mayfield, but I don't think he's, you know, I don't think he's a franchise guy. So, anyhow, that's kind of where I sit on that. Real quick, before we let you go, you saw Will Levis. We saw his first start. Right. He beat the Falcons. What would you think, by the way, this last week? thought he was great. Yeah. I, thought, uh, I thought just foot energy, footwork stuff in the pocket, great feet, um, and – Unbelievable arm talent, arm angles, different like different platform throws. Finds a way with his feet to keep him in a balanced position so he can deliver the football accurately on time. I thought I thought it was I thought it was really good. With just studying his film, I was like I was really impressed with kind of how he played. And you know it's just interesting to watch a dude that for whatever reason teams don't like him maybe because he puts mayonnaise in his coffee or whatever but <laughs> um like on film he looks like the makings of a legit nfl quarterback and um yeah i thought i thought he was really good i really did think great stuff right man on. check out the podcast uh, podcast guys the sinking truth it's uh wherever you get your podcast and on odyssey as well we appreciate you each and every week man enjoy the miami game thank you guys take care